Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 9 today. This is a passage where Jesus sends out the 12 disciples to preach and to heal. And uh, today I want us to see how it helps us understand what Jesus came into the world to do and what it means for us. And before we read God's word, let me pray and ask for the Lord's help. Let's pray. Our Lord, we come before you once again uh, hungry and needy. And today we pray that you would feed us by your word, nourish and strengthen us. And may you, Lord, uh, cause us all to know within our hearts that before us is the very word of God. Transform our minds by it. And Lord, may we bow down before the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and do all that he calls us to do in this passage. Fix our eyes upon him today. We ask it all for his sake. Amen. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 1 through verse 9, let's hear the word of the Lord. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such great things? And he sought to see him. Why did... Uh, the Son of God come to earth? It's a question many Christians are thinking about this time of the year, and hopefully it's something we're thinking about all year. But why the incarnation? Why was Christ deployed from heaven to come to earth? And we heard, I think, the, the core answer to that question in our assurance of pardon this morning, that Christ came into the world to save sinners, to reconcile sinners to God. And without ever losing focus on that fundamental reason that Christ came into the world, the Bible also tells us other reasons Christ was sent by his heavenly Father. And one thing we've been seeing as we've worked our way through Luke up to this point, 
is that Jesus was sent by the Father to proclaim good news, to teach the kingdom of God. He was sent to make disciples by preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. I think Luke has highlighted over and over how central this was to Jesus's ministry. So after his baptism and temptation, immediately we find Jesus coming out of the wilderness and going into Galilee in the power of the Spirit, teaching the kingdom. And then in Luke 4, the same chapter, Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth and takes up the scroll of Isaiah and puts these words upon his lips. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And then again in Luke chapter 4, verse 43, Jesus actually says, This is why I was sent. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For this reason I was sent, or for this purpose. So according to Jesus, he was sent into this world by his father to to set captives free by proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. And now in our passage today, here in Luke chapter 9, Jesus does something that has enormous implications, not only for these 12 men, the disciples who are also his apostles, but for the church. Think about it up to this point. Since Jesus has called uh, the 12 disciples out of the larger group of disciples that have gathered around him and have been learning from him, up to this point, Jesus is the only one who's been teaching and and healing and performing uh, miracles. But now, Jesus is extending his ministry by calling, equipping, and sending out the twelve as his apostles. And so the, the twelve disciples, apostles, who have been learning from Jesus for a year, are now sent as his apostles with the very authority and power of the king himself. And so here's what I think we're, we're seeing so far in, in, in Luke. The, the father sent Christ into the world to proclaim good news and the miracles he performed were signs of the kind of kingdom that he was establishing and and now here Jesus multiplies his ministry by calling equipping and sending out the apostles to proclaim the same message and now as as the apostolic age came to a close, Christ now carries out this very same disciple-making ministry as he sends the church into the world to make disciples by proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. See, if, if you look very carefully at what's going on here, we'll see that the ministry of the apostles and the ministry of the church 
mirrors the ministry of Christ himself. And so what I want us to do today is I want us to see how the sending of Christ and the sending of the apostles has implications for us. Because just as the Father sent Christ into the world, and just as Christ sent the apostles into the world, God sends us into the world to proclaim this very same message. And so I want us to see five parts today of a disciple-making ministry from this passage. A ministry that, by God's grace, we want to pursue here at Trinity. And the very first thing we need to see is the priority Jesus placed on making disciples. And we see this, first of all, in Jesus' own ministry. Again, after his baptism and temptation, he immediately began teaching the good news of the kingdom of God in order to make disciples. And then in chapter 6, Jesus called his disciples together and from them chose 12 to be his apostles. You understand disciple and apostle are not the same thing. We are all disciples, students and learners and followers of Jesus Christ if we are believers. But apostles were unique men called to form the foundation along with the prophets of the church. Jesus gathered these 12 to himself and then he began pouring his life into them. He began teaching them. He began spending time with them, sharing his life with them. And so in Luke 6 through 8, these 12 have followed Jesus and been learning from Jesus as he was preparing them for for ministry. So as we come to to Luke 9, it's time for them to take the message that they have been hearing from Jesus and proclaim it to others. It's time for these disciples to make disciples. And so, verse 2, Jesus sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And so the, the priority of making disciples is something Jesus is passing on to his apostles. This is something he has has been preparing them for. And and this is why just before he ascended into heaven, after his death and resurrection, he said, go into all the world and make disciples of the nations. And so what do we see when we go to the book of Acts, which was written by Luke as a companion volume to this gospel? When we go to the book of Acts, we see the apostles doing this very thing. Beginning in Jerusalem, the apostles and the church proclaimed the gospel of God, going into Judea and then Samaria and then to the ends of the earth to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so for Jesus and the apostles, making disciples was a priority. Jesus was sent to, po- to make disciples. The apostles were sent by Jesus to make apostles. And as a church, we are called to make disciples. Do you understand that? Do you understand a fundamental reason we exist as a church in Johnstown is to make disciples? 
We, we exist for the glory of God. And one of the primary ways we do that is by seeking to make followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I think there's a question that's begging to be asked as we think about this priority. Is making disciples a priority for us? Are we a, a church that truly believes a fundamental reason we exist is to make disciples, followers and students of Jesus Christ? Are we, are we, are we all individually? Yes, yes, uniquely and according to each one's gifts. But are we all committed to seeing others come and learn from Jesus? You see, Jesus' Jesus' priority, it it is still the same. It is to call men and women and boys and girls from every tribe and tongue and nation to come and learn from him. And what's exciting when you think about what is happening in the New Testament is that he is continuing to do that. How? Dear friends, through his church. And so like Jesus and like the apostles, we want disciple-making to be a priority of our church. By the way, um, did you notice as as we read this, who Jesus used in order to do this? You know, let's face it, disciple-making, it can be a daunting task, a scary task. And maybe you're tempted at times to think, I don't have anything... I can give to help in this work. I don't have any gifts from the Lord that can be employed in this ministry of making disciples. My friends, if you're ever tempted to think that, I just want to remind you here of of the men that Jesus used to make disciples. Actually, I, I think you need to recognize, first of all, he used ordinary men, fishermen. A tax collector. But also notice, notice who's not in this circle of uh, apostles. Uh, these, are not, uh, these are not thoroughly trained yet students of theology with theology degrees. Uh, th- these are not men who've, who've had time to uh, go to Sunday school for 30 years before going out and seeking to make disciples. These are actually men who've only been with the Lord for a year. And think about this. This was, this was before they, they, they would hear the, that great upper room discourse. Uh, this is before Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead. Actually, it was before even Jesus began talking to them about going to Jerusalem and dying on the cross and suffering at the hands of men and three days later rising again from the dead. This is before they had 40 days after Christ's resurrection to talk to Christ about the kingdom of God. This is a couple years before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. These men are freshmen in the school of Christ. Ordinary men. And they were, they were immature at times, weren't they? Arguing about 
who would be greatest in the kingdom of God, and sometimes fundamentally misunderstanding what kind of kingdom Jesus was bringing into the world. They had a lot to learn. But despite all their flaws, at times their immaturity, what they still needed to to learn, isn't this encouraging? Jesus used them to make disciples. I I think there's something incredibly encouraging about that fact. You don't need a theology degree to be used by Christ in his kingdom. And so, in the first place, we see that Jesus would have us prioritize disciple-making because he did. And if he can use ordinary men, imperfect men, to, to form the foundation of his church by their apostolic witness and teaching, dear friends, he can use us. And so we see the priority of disciple-making, and I think also we see the pattern of disciple-making in this passage. So if disciple-making is a priority, how then should it be done? In the Word of God, does, does Jesus tell us or show us? Or you could ask it another way, um, what did it look like for Jesus and the apostles to make disciples? And I think as we look here at Luke 9, we see that disciple-making was twofold. It involved the proclamation of God's word and works of mercy. It's popular to say it this way today. It was a ministry of word and deed. And we see that so clearly with with Jesus. Have your Bibles before you. I want to take you through some verses here in a moment. But in all of Luke's summaries of Jesus' ministry, I want you to have this in your mind. We see Jesus doing two things. He preached the gospel, and he showed mercy to to the needy, healing the sick, delivering those oppressed by demons. Now, just scan over some verses with me, because I want you to see how pervasive this really is in Luke. Go back to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, we have the story of Jesus healing a man with a demon. And in Luke 4, verse 31, look first at that verse. We read, Jesus was teaching on the Sabbath. And then in verse 35, Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and delivered this man. Ministry of teaching and mercy. And then look at chapter 4, verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. And then in verse 43, Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to the other towns as well. So there's Jesus healing, and there is Jesus saying, this is primary. I must preach the good news of the kingdom. And go to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verse 15, after Jesus healed the leper. In verse 15 we read, But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. And then later in Luke 5, look at verse 17. Luke is setting up the story of the healing of the paralytic, and he writes, 
on one of those days as he was teaching. And then jump down to the second part of that verse. And we read there, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. You know, I could, I could take us through more of Luke and we could keep piling up example after example of this, but I think the pattern of Jesus' ministry is made pretty clear at this point. Jesus was committed to proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God and showing mercy to the needy. Now, look at what Jesus sends the apostles out to do then in our passage. And back in Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, and look at verse 2. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Do you see it? It's the same thing he has been doing, a ministry of word and mercy. And so Jesus gave them authority to proclaim the good news of the gospel and the power to heal and cast out demons. And so Jesus establishes this pattern for making disciples. Proclaim the gospel, show mercy to the needy, and my friends, this is the same ministry Jesus calls us to as a church. Yes, of course, there are important differences. We, again, are not apostles. We've not been given the power to heal the sick or raise the dead. But fundamentally, our ministry is the same as what Jesus was doing and what he called the apostles to do. We are a community of disciples who proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God and who seek to do good to others by showing mercy. That is the call of the church of Jesus Christ. And so friends, Jesus wants us to be a church devoted to serving the world. How? By proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of the, the apostolic gospel, you can put it that way. The apostolic gospel of, of Jesus Christ crucified and raised for sinners. That by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be reconciled to God and dwell with him for all eternity. And that by coming to the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit at work, our lives can be radically transformed by the gospel. We serve the world by proclaiming the gospel. But dear friends, Jesus also calls us to be an instrument of his mercy. And so we, we want to minister by giving people the gospel and by showing them mercy. And this means prioritizing the word of God so that in all we do, people hear the gospel. And as we do so, it means caring for the sick, helping the needy and the elderly, welcoming the stranger, and showing hospitality. My friends, I think, I think one thing we need to be reminded of is we must not separate these two aspects of ministry. Because ministry of the word without mercy is an incomplete ministry. And a ministry of mercy without the word reduces the church to a soup kitchen. Now, nothing, nothing wrong with soup kitchens. But the church is not called to be a soup kitchen. The church is called to proclaim the good news of the gospel 
and in that context to show mercy and meet people's needs. And so we need both if the church is going to show the comprehensive love and grace of Christ. So the pattern of ministry for the local church is the same pattern we see with Jesus and the apostles of ministry of word and deed. And one other thing before we go to the next point, I just want us to to dwell on the simplicity of this pattern for a moment. Now, we will need to be creative in thinking about how we put this into practice and in our specific time, in our specific context, how do we most effectively and faithfully bring the word of God to people and show mercy? That's something we need to be thinking about. But sometimes, you know, people write lots of books and talk a lot today about making disciples, church growth, um, all of this kind of stuff. And and sometimes as I'm looking at some of this material, I'm thinking, have have we forgotten? (laughs) Have we forgotten that Christ has already given us the pattern for ministry? Dear friends, Jesus himself is our model for ministry. And his ministry was a ministry fixated on proclaiming the word of God. He wouldn't let anything distract him from it. Even when when the demands of mercy were overcoming him, he prioritized the proclamation of the word of God because he understood this is what people need to hear in order to be saved. And so everything we do as a church should have as its goal throwing light on the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as much as we can, we want to seek to do good to others. Paul puts it like this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. He says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see, the pattern is simple. Proclaim the gospel, do good to others, show mercy. And what we want to do then is, is take this pattern and keep it central by God's grace, keep it central in the life of this church. Dear, dear friends, this, this can't be something we only do Sunday mornings and, and Sunday evenings. This, this needs to be worked into the life of this congregation. That every day of the week we are a people seeking to make known the good news of the kingdom of God. And we are seeking to show mercy to those who are in need, especially those of the household of, of faith. We want the, the gospel of God to be, to be held up and, and held out in our church and in our homes. And as we do that, we always want to be looking for ways to do good to our brothers and sisters and to those outside of the household of faith. This is the ministry Jesus calls us to. Now, thirdly, I want us to see in this passage the provisions of disciple-making. So I think after highlighting the priority of making disciples, after seeing the pattern of making disciples, in verse 3, we see the provisions for making disciples. Now, I think what Jesus says here is not what you expect. <clears throat> um, in 2006, I went to uh, the Philippines for several weeks on a short-term missions trip. And uh, before going, I got a long checklist of things to bring. 
And we were spending some time in uh, a jungle area, so uh, clothes, waterproof boots, which were waterproof for about five minutes, <laughs> uh, hiking to where we needed to go, um, water tablets to purify water, lots and lots of bug spray. And, you know, nobody told me that DEET was bad for you. I took a bottle of 100% DEET, and I lathered up in that stuff every single day. Probably took a couple years off of my life, but bugs died if they came within a 10-foot radius of me while I was in the Philippines. But anyway, I had a long checklist of, of things to bring with me as I went to the Philippines. But look at this. Before Jesus sends out the 12, instead of a checklist of things to bring, he gives them a checklist of things not to bring. Look at verse 3. Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. You know, everything you think you should take, Jesus says, nope, don't take that with you. Just think about this for a minute. If you are going on a journey... These are the kind of things you would naturally think, I better, I better have that at this time. A staff for protection. Food in case you get hungry along the way. Some, some money in case there's something you need to buy. And if we're going somewhere, you know, we, I hope we make accommodations ahead of time. We make reservations. We plan ahead. And Jesus says, don't do any of that. Basically, he says, go with nothing but the clothes on your back. So one of the things we have to ask is, why does Jesus tell them to do that? It sounds a little bit crazy. You could say it was a short journey, so they didn't need all these supplies, but I don't think that is the answer. You could say that the task of making disciples was so urgent in Jesus' mind that they needed to travel light, but I don't think that's it either. And it's, this is clearly not a rule that Jesus wants us to apply living without possessions and depending on others for shelter. In fact, later in Luke's gospel, in Luke 22, Jesus tells these men to do essentially the opposite. He tells them to take a money bag and a knapsack with them. And so rather than, rather than laying down an abiding rule, I think Jesus is teaching his apostles a lesson about ministry, a lesson about the ministry of making disciples. And I think the lesson was simply this. He wanted them to understand that they were entirely and utterly dependent on the Lord's provision. That their livelihood and their success was not due to their ability to prepare beforehand or their own resources, but instead it came from the Lord himself. And here's a really neat thing to, to see in this story. Do, do you see how the Lord provides for ministry here? His provision doesn't just drop out of the sky right into their laps, but rather the Lord's provision comes through people. And so the, the disciples were to, to go into town, preach the gospel, heal the sick, and stay in homes that were opened to them. Now, presumably, those homes would have been owned by, by people who heard this apostolic message and believed and responded to it. So I think, there's a, I think there's a lesson here. Notice that the Lord 
provides for the people living in these towns by sending his apostles to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And then in turn, these people are the Lord's provision for the apostles as they go from town to town proclaiming the gospel of our Lord. And so as we think about being a disciple-making church, I just want us to notice how God provides for the ministry he calls us to through his people. I think this is something we could just read over here. But whoever these people were who, who opened up their homes to the apostles, they were furthering this ministry of making disciples. And so as I think, as we try to apply this to the life of our church, friends, I think one thing we need to see here is that for the work of disciple-making to happen, the people of God must be engaged. Now, not, just a, not just a select few, but as Paul will talk about later, the, the whole body of Christ working together to advance the gospel. Now, some will be preachers and teachers. Some will give generously to this work. Some will be instruments of mercy in the Redeemer's hands. Some will show hospitality and host Bible studies in their homes. Some of you are great at, at bringing others and saying, come, come with me. Come, come see what the Lord is doing. Come and hear the word of God at Trinity as we worship him. But I think one thing we need to see here is that a disciple-making ministry happens when Christ's people serve. It happens as People give themselves their time, their resources, the, their best energies to see others come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I think, this is, I think this is a real challenge in our day. Because I think we'll all agree, we, we live, don't we, in a very me-centered culture, don't we? And that kind of mentality has even at times crept its way into the church so that even Christians sometimes think about the church in these terms. What can the church do for me? How, how can the ministries of the church be a blessing to me? Now, to be sure, being a member of the household of God, the Lord pours out blessing and blessing upon us. But I think Jesus takes this kind of thinking and he turns it upside down. So that his disciples are no longer, first of all, thinking, what can, what can the church, what can the people of God do for me? But instead, what can I do to serve Christ? What can I do to bless the people of God? And what can I do to see the gospel taken to the world? That disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ might be made. And so we've seen the priority of disciple making. We've seen the pattern of disciple making through word and deed and we've seen that the provision of God comes through his people for ministry and now I want us to see the power behind disciple making we, we've got to ask another question what makes all of this possible because at the end of the day I I heard someone I think it was David Strain put it this way at the end of the day making disciples involves going and telling people a message they don't want to hear about a savior that they don't think they need that's the task of discipleship and so where does the the power come from because it's certainly not in us is it we don't have the power or the authority to change people's 
hearts? I think the answer is here in this passage. But just think about this passage in context first. Back in Luke chapter 8, Luke was, Luke was laboring to show us the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. He calmed the winds and the waves, and so he has power and authority over nature. Uh, he delivered the, the man called Legion who had an army of demons oppressing him. And so Jesus has power and authority over demons and over Satan himself. And, and Jesus healed the woman suffering from a discharge for 12 years and raised Jairus' dead daughter. And so Jesus has power and authority over sickness and death. And now come to Luke 9, verse 1. Jesus calls the 12 together and gives them power and authority. It's, it's incredible. The Son of God, who has power over nature, over demons, over Satan, over sickness and death, now takes these disciples, calls them to be his apostles, commissions them then to go out with his very power and authority. And it's the same thing Jesus is saying in, in the Great Commission that we know so well, that all authority and power on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Go and make disciples. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying you have everything you need. I, I'm with you wherever you go. Go and make disciples for you will have the support of the one who possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, of course... Once again, the giving of this power and authority, yes, it had aspects that applied uniquely to the apostles and their ministry. And we, we need to notice that. But what I want to remind us of today, dear friends, is he gives, he, he hasn't left the church without power and authority to carry out what he calls her to do. That he gives to his church what she needs to carry out the, the great commission and make disciples of all the nations and the power and the authority does not come from me or from you it comes from Christ the Lord of glory and I think the way Jesus is doing this the way he's making disciples it just defies it utterly defies worldly thinking you know, we, t we tend to think, don't we, if we're really smart and really knowledgeable, we'll be successful. But Jesus, <laughs> these men, he sends them out. And we see, don't we, as the rest of the gospel account unfolds, we see they have so much left to learn. We tend to think that if we have lots of resources at our disposal, lots of money perhaps, that then, then we can be really effective. Jesus sends these men out with nothing but the clothes on their back. My friends, men and women and children were being saved from sin and Satan and death and hell. Because the power is not from us. 
The power comes from Christ himself. And we need to remember it comes from his gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And that's what I want us to think about finally as we bring things to a close. Uh, This brings us to the message for disciple-making. You think about it, if proclamation is a primary part of a disciple-making ministry, what is it that we are called to proclaim? We proclaim proclaim the gospel. We proclaim the good news of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at this passage, verse 2. Jesus sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. And verse 6, they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So my friends, the good news of the kingdom of God is our message. But maybe you're thinking, well, what is that? What what does that mean? What is the good news of the kingdom of God? I think to understand it, you have to see what Luke has been showing you so far in his gospel. He, He has been showing us all of the ways that sin has made a wreck of this world and a wreck of our lives. We live live in a world where people get sick and die. We live in a world where Satan and his minions are actively at work in opposition to God. And we live in a world where people are by nature opposed to God and his grace. And we see that here in this passage, don't we? This is one of the things Jesus is preparing his Apostles 4 in verse 5, and then and the story of Herod. He's sending them out to proclaim good news, gospel, liberty for captives, salvation for sinners, and Jesus says, entire villages are going to reject you. And he tells them what to do, and that happens. But you see, Luke has been trying to show us this is the world we live in. This is the bad news, but he's been doing that ultimately to show us the good news of the kingdom of Christ. That that in his grace, Jesus came into this world to rescue us from the dominion of darkness and the kingdom of Satan and the evil of this present passing age. And to to bring us into his eternal kingdom. His kingdom of of life and joy and righteousness and peace with God and salvation. And so the gospel of of the kingdom is the good news that Jesus has come into this world to conquer Satan and to deliver us from our own sin and guilt and give us the hope of eternal life in his kingdom. And ultimately, ultimately he would do that by by going to the cross and paying the penalty that we, we owed. By dying in our place, by being the sin bearer, by taking on the curse and and enduring the wrath of Almighty Holy God against our own sin. 
Now, friends, as you think about that and, and what it means not only for this life, but the life to come, the gospel of the kingdom of God is the greatest news in the world. And it's the news that Jesus calls us to proclaim. And, and it's, it's the, the news that, that Jesus wants to see not only proclaimed, but, but lived out in our lives as we seek to do good to others and show mercy as pointers to the presence of the kingdom of God in our own lives. So let me, let me just end today with a challenge. A challenge for all of us. I hope it's clear as we think about this, Jesus not only wants us, Jesus is not only calling us to be his disciples, to sit at his feet and, and learn from him and do all that he says. Jesus is not only calling us to be his disciples, he's calling us to make disciples. And can, can we, this is my challenge for us, can we commit ourselves afresh to this ministry that Christ calls us to. To not just grow as disciples, but to seek by the grace of God and by the power of Christ to make disciples, followers of the Lord Jesus. Dear friends, God has put us here in Johnstown and, and the surrounding regions so that together we might proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God and do good to our brothers and sisters in Christ and as much as we have opportunity to do good to others. And so that's my challenge. Let's commit ourselves to this disciple-making ministry. Let's give ourselves to this ministry. Let's give all that we are. And let's pray that by the power of God at work, Sinners might be saved and brought into the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that in your grace you have called us to be students of yourself. And that in your grace you have rescued us from the tyranny of Satan and the dominion of sin and the guilt of our own sin. And Lord, we thank you that you have called us as a church, as a body to take this good news and proclaim it to others. Help us, Lord, to, to do this faithfully, to do it well. And Lord, by our feeble efforts, we ask that you would see fit to bless it and bring others into your kingdom to the glory of your name. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.